Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Totally divided our congregation today. I'm glad you made it here today. Today we're going to talk a little bit about revival. We've been talking about revival over the last several weeks. Our passage here is Psalm 85 verse 4 says, restore us again. Turn to your and say restore. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your anger towards us. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us, everyone say show. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Restore. That's kind of the language that churches around the world are talking about. Restore. What does that mean? Restore means to make something new again. What are we asking uh, in this season of revival? How many of you believe that God is doing something very unique in human history right now? That God is doing, God has not forgotten the United States of America, nor Canada, or Mexico, or Europe, or Asia. Do you think God has a plan for the world? He wants to fix it. He wants to make all things new. This is the cry of the psalmist. Restore us. Make us new again. God, this is my prayer for for all of you. I'm going to do this in proxy for us today. God, do a fresh work in me. That is the heart of Psalm 85. That's the heart of the language of revival. Then the psalmist in verse 6 says, will you not revive us again? What does revive mean? What well, presupposes that you're dead. Yeah. You're gone, yeah. right? You're underground. There's no life there. Revive means make me alive again. Make me aware of your presence. This, again, is the language of revival. Today, I want to talk about the four Uh, hallmarks or the four themes of any outpouring of the spirit over the last, let's say, two or 300 years. And the four themes that I'm just going to quickly flesh out in the end, we're going to pray for you is number one, this is what happens when God pours out his spirit. God refreshes and restores our understanding and our experience of these four things. Are you ready? Number one, you are accepted. Number two, you are free from the bondage to sin. Number three, here's a good one. You are not alone. And finally, I love this because we don't talk enough about this in church. You have authority. You have authority. So number one, you are accepted. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're accepted. If you are in Christ, right, as we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and in the waters of baptism, as we become a Christian, guess what happens? You move from one type of humanity, this is just Bible 101 stuff, to another type of humanity. 
So the type of humanity before Jesus and his grace and his death on the cross for us is defined by sin and corruption and trauma and drama and pain and suffering and weakness and brokenness and depression and despair and anxiety. Afterwards, after we accept God's grace through the death of Jesus, what you are moved to a completely different humanity. In other words, you, no, you are no longer located in sin. Guys, you're in a completely different time zone, a completely different zip code. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you're not just saying, okay, I'm going to follow you. There is a spiritual dynamic that takes place when you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. And that dynamic is defined by a change of status. You are no longer located in that old type of humanity that's defined by entropy and corruption and death and sin and addictions and hurt and pain. You are in a new identity that's defined by grace and righteousness and some joy and some peace and some hope and some goodness. It's a change of status. In any outpouring of the Spirit of God, there is a renewed understanding that you and I are accepted. We have a new identity. In fact, we begin to live from our deepest identity, and that is you and I are in Christ. Romans chapter six, verse four, as, as Kim just read so perfectly, we are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I know this kind of dense language and like maybe some of you are like new to the whole Bible stuff and the whole Christian stuff. Basically, Paul is using a, a planting metaphor. Any farmers out there or gardeners? Okay, I'm practically a farmer now. My wife pot four chickens, so I'm a farmer, right, by proximity. My wife and I have been talking about vertical gardens. Have you heard of this new concept? It's brilliant. We're going to invite the whole church out to our property one of the, probably 15 years from now. I'm going to show you all the wonderful things that we've done to our, our land. So, but I, I love thinking about this whole idea that Paul is saying, you were buried. What is he saying? You were planted into the soil when you just simply turned and respond to the grace of God, you were planted into the soil of grace. You were planted before, this is what Paul is saying, in the soil of sin. You couldn't rescue yourself. You couldn't pull yourself out of your enslavement to sin and addictions and trauma. This is what Paul is saying. But by the grace of God, and through his love for you, he pulled you out, he replanted you, and he put you in the soil of God's righteousness. That is who you are. That is your deepest identity. And my wife and I, she, my wife talks about soil all the time, and it's like, oh my God, stop talking about, let's talk about something else. Like, soil is boring to talk about, but she is obsessed, guys. She's going to Emmett. Who goes to Emmett? I'm sorry. If you're from Emmett, we love you, right? She's going to Emmett and to Cuna to get like organic soil. I'm like, babe, you've lost your mind. But she loves it because she understands that good soil 
that's free from pollutions and toxins are essential for life. If you want to plant tomatoes and onions and garlic and corn and all the different things that my wife wants to grow, my God, right? You have to have good soil. What Paul is saying is that if you turn to Jesus through faith and repentance and baptism, the waters of baptism, right? That's the beginning, not the end of your Christian life. That's the beginning of your Christian life. Jesus, you might not feel it, but remember, we don't always live by our feelings. Can I get an amen? But you now have a new status of being in new soil that is rich with grace and righteousness and freedom and hope. That is your identity as a follower of Jesus. Here, when you get married, you might not feel, I remember like the first three months after my wife and I were married, it was glorious, it was amazing. I'm like, marriage is the best. But then there's a time after marriage that, you know, you, you, the feels come or the feels go, right? And you're, you know, you don't always feel like you wanna do the right thing or love or, you know, sometimes you wanna be selfish. I'm sure none, no one in this church has ever felt that in their marriage relationship, right? You never got into fights, you never got frustrated or anything like that. But I'm, I guess, the most unsanctified person here. But there, there, have, been, there have been times, especially as, new, as new, newly married people, that I'm like, I just, I didn't feel like I was married. I, I wanted to be more selfless and I felt some selfishness and the Holy Spirit was bringing some of that stuff up uh, in my life. Um, and I had, and it's just one of those dynamics that I had to remind myself that I am married, right? That's my status. I am no longer a bachelor, Right? I'm no longer a single person. So whether I feel like that or not, right, I am married. That's my new identity. Can I get an amen? And the same thing is true of us as followers of Jesus. You have been accepted. You have been forgiven. You have been cleansed from the power of sin. You've been planted into the life of Jesus. Your life is now bound up in the life of Christ. His death and his life now has been given to you, is available to you. You have a brand new status. You have a brand new identity. And we, as we go through this season of revival, as the Holy Spirit pours out his power and his grace and his love on us, our understanding of this reality becomes our deepest reality by which we live from. The problem is we live from so many different other identities that co-opt or hijacked our deepest identity, which is you and I, if we are in Christ, we are sons and daughters, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So all the voices that call you worthless are liars. All the voices that say to you that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you have to start from scratch because the night before you did some stupid things, yeah, you repented of it, but now you gotta do some penance, right? You gotta, you gotta fix your life to get back up to where you were before. All of that is a lie. Drake, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, Drake had a song in 2013. We were at the bottom, we started at the bottom, and now we're here, right? 
started at the bottom, and now we're here. We're kind of like looking at society as a hierarchy or like a ladder. And I want us to think like this. Many of us think of life as a ladder. And as followers of Jesus, if we're not careful, we feel like every single day we start at the bottom. Because we live by rejection. We live by false voices that tell us we're worthless. Or you better be careful. Or you did this. Or we live from a cursed consciousness. Or I don't have my life put together. My God, we all know you're not perfect. God knows you're not perfect. But he loves you with an everlasting love. So we never, as followers of Jesus, because this is our identity, start from the bottom. We always start from the top. The problem, many people think, well, when I sin and then I confess it and I, I do some repentance that I have to like, it takes me about five weeks to get back up to the top. Here's the wonderful thing about who you are in Christ. As a child of God, you never start at the bottom. You start at the top. The bottom is I'm worthless. It's going to take a long time for God to put me together. Um, God kind of loves me. And then other days, I'm not quite sure. God, I don't know where God is in my life. My marriage is broken. My body is broken. My mind is broken. So many Christians hobble through life because they're living from the bottom. The top is you are a son, you are a daughter, you have been forgiven, your father in heaven loves you with an everlasting love. And he has good purposes for you. So tomorrow when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you had a crazy dream, the night before you didn't get to bed till two o'clock, that's dumb and stupid, but hey, all right. You ate something you shouldn't have ate. I don't know. You drank something you, you shouldn't have drank. Maybe you watched some program that messed up your mind. You wake up in the throes of an anxiety. Remind yourself. Yeah, you could do some confession. God, please forgive me. But remind yourself of who you are in Christ. You have been accepted. And I guess I'm hitting puberty today. You are beloved. Ephesians chapter one says, you are beloved. You have been lavished with grace. You have been accepted. You have been forgiven of your transgressions. You are now blessed with every spiritual blessing. Please, if you're bored with this stuff, you need revived. If this doesn't get you going, oh my God. I guess I could do a little circus act. I hopefully that would get you going. But if this doesn't get you going, it says something about where you're at in your life. This is the most important truth about our relationship with God. He has poured out his love on us through Jesus. We don't start here. We start here. Come on, somebody, we don't start here. We start up here. We never start from the bottom, even when we're dealing with our stuff, even when we're dealing with our sin, even in confession, and we're really honest with each other and honest with the Holy Spirit, and we're wrestling with stuff, dysfunction in our marriage and dysfunction with our children, or maybe dysfunction in our own minds or at places of work. If you're not careful, you can allow that dysfunction to shape your sense of identity, and then you start to live from the bottom. 
I promise if you start from the bottom, you can never get up. Remember, you are accepted not because of your performance. Guys, none of us deserve to be in this room in the living, loving, holy presence of God. If you think you deserve to be here because you've done something good and God's like, oh my God, I'm God, oh my word. That was amazing. You're accepted. No, you see, God sees you through his son, Jesus, and he calls you beloved. He calls you loved. He calls you, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my kid. You're a part of my family, and I'm going to give you my good purposes because I have a plan for you. That's where we start. If you look back 300 years of revival, you will see that this is a hallmark theme, understanding who we are in Christ. If you're a theologian here today, this is called justification. Justification, it's a change of status. Number two, you are free from the bondage to sin. You are free to the bondage uh, to trauma, to hurt, to wounds, to habits that deform your spiritual life, to addictions. Remember, you are no longer located in sin, in the dysfunction of this world. You are now located in righteousness. Righteousness, I, I say this all the time, and I just, I wanna make sure that we understand the concept of righteousness. Righteousness is not like, okay, I gotta get my life together and I gotta be straight. No, righteousness is a relational word that describes well-ordered relationships with God, with yourself, with others, and with creation. So righteous, you are rooted in righteousness by the power of the Spirit. Let me just say this really quick. Christianity is not, not about going to heaven. You hear me say this all the time, right? It's not about going to some disembodied cloud. Can I get an amen to that? Christianity is not about you just hobbling through life. Like, ah, oh, my status is I'm a follower of Jesus, but then there's no real change in you. That's not what Christianity is all about. Hobbling through life, living from the bottom, trying to make it into heaven. Christianity, rather, is the liberation, or say it this way, the outpouring of the Spirit to liberate the whole cosmos from sin, corruption, death, wounds, pain, weaknesses, and everything that tears the fabric of righteousness in your life and in the life of this world. Can I get an amen? This is God's power. So number two, in every revival, there's a renewed understanding and a renewed experience of God's power in your life. You see, the Holy Spirit, and I've mentioned this many times before, is the great change agent. He's a great change agent. Which means is that the Holy Spirit is unchangeable in his nature, his character, and his purposes. But he comes to change you and I by his power. Don't become a Christian if you're uncomfortable with change. Because as a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come and bring change. You see, I love this. I love this, I love this, I love this. God will never, 
He'll meet us where we're at in our brokenness and our pain and our shame and our hurt and our resentments, our hostilities, even in the racism, your heart, or in the narcissism of your life. He will meet you in the pettiness of sin and corruption and death. Here's the good news. He will not leave you there. He meets you with grace, not with judgment and condemnation, but he will never leave you there. You see, the Holy Spirit is the great meddler. He wants to meddle with your life, with your perspectives, even with your emotions, with your sense of purpose, with your mission. The Holy Spirit is the great change agent of our life. Amen. So good. I remember when I was 15, my youth pastor looked at me one day, it was like a Wednesday night, and he said, Chris, in two weeks, I want you to preach. And I said, heck no. I'm 15. I don't even know what to, I, I don't even know what to say. He goes, you're going to preach. I'm like, thank you. All right. <laughs> Frustrated. I didn't know what I was doing put together a message, had a friend, wrote a few thoughts down. I get up, I'm petrified in, I, I'm just, I was a shy kid, very introverted, petrified in being in front of people. And I get up in front of about 200 young people, terrified. I'm shaking, my knees guys are shaking. I'm starting to sweat. I was a redhead, so I was, I was flushed. Everyone knew that, okay, is he gonna pass out? <laughs> get the guy behind him. We need a catcher, right? <laughs> Shaking. I'm like, I don't want to do this. My whole mind is I'm being introduced. And, my, and I remember just the first few words that I said, I'm like, oh my God, I can't even talk. And then something happened. The power of God changed me. All the fear in a moment left. And I preached, it was in mid eighties guys. So I preached about Madonna and I was in the flow, and I was talking about the love of God, and I'm like, and it was like 50 minutes later, the preacher, my youth pastor's like, okay, I need the mic, Chris, okay, stop talking. <laughs> what is that? That's the Holy Spirit changing me. I remember when I was 18 years old, I've shared this story many times before. I was, I was in a really unique season. I was just diagnosed with type one diabetes. I was trying to figure out like between six different colleges that I wanted to play ball at. I was confused. I was depressed. I remember going up to a camp and the pastor preached on the love of God. And I remember in that moment, it was about 30 minutes into his message. He's preaching out of Song of Solomon. <laughs> this erotic book, right? <laughs> and he's preaching on the love of Jesus. And I sat there in the back depressed. All of a sudden the depression left. And it was, it, was, it was as if the curtain of reality was drawn away and I could see face to face the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to call it an apocalypse of love. It was apocalyptic. It was a revelation of God's love. And for three hours, for three hours, I sat in the back weeping. And every breath I took, I could feel depression leaving. I could feel anxiety leaving. I could feel hopelessness leaving. I could feel confusion leaving. I could feel God then not just taking stuff out of me. I could sense that he was putting stuff into me, his good purposes. I got a vision of my future. I knew I was called to play basketball, but then I saw something even bigger in my future, that God was calling me to preach the Bible to nations. 
and it changed my life. What was that? That was the Holy Spirit, and he changed me. I remember early on in my marriage, we, um, we had arguments, my wife and I. Some of you have no idea what we're talking about. Never had an argument with your spouse before. But we would have arguments. But I remember one day I came home and my wife looked at me and said, Chris, you are not present. And I remember, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm thinking about all these different things and I'm struggling with being present. And in that moment, God set into motion a deep change in my mind and my heart. That corrective moment God used to change me. The Holy Spirit comes with his power to bring real change in our lives. We guys, we are in the middle of a revival. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on young people, young people at universities, churches, Anglican churches, charismatic churches, Baptist churches, Credo Baptist churches, they really need it. Okay, let's move on. Lutheran churches, Methodist, Wesleyan, all denominational stripes, all theological stripes. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And guess what's happening? People are actually being changed. Being changed. People are being set free from anxiety and depression and hopelessness and sinful habits. The Holy Spirit is is rescuing many people from the cycles of immaturity and pain and trauma that define them. People are being set free from a cursed consciousness and they're seeing themselves how God sees them and they're reflecting that back into the world. This is the power of God. Guys, five years from now, You should be able to look back at this moment right now and say, man, I was an idiot. I look back 10 years ago when I was 18, kidding. (laughs) And honestly, I look back and I'm like, oh my God. Yes, I miss the youthfulness. I miss the the ability to to move around. Like as you get older, it's a little bit harder. But what I don't miss is who I was. I am a completely different person than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, if it wasn't for the grace of God. We should expect to grow. You should have an, I'm challenging right now. You should have an expectation that God is going to bring good changes in your life. Now, it will require it will require that for, at times for you to get out of your complacency. It will require at times you being uncomfortable. That's okay. Because I know everyone in this room wants what God has for them. Because what God has for everyone in this room is exactly what you want. And you might not even know it. But change presupposes that we get out of our complacency. We get out of our comfortableness, out of our safety boxes, and open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit so he can do his work in us. My hope 10 years from now is I look back at this moment on my life and I'm like, man, I was stupid. That's how much I want me to grow. That's how much I want all of us as a community to grow. You should expect that God would come 
and speak to you. You should expect that God would come and set you free from your addictions. You should expect, well, I've tried, Chris. I've tried to break this addiction in my life. That's totally fine. I don't have enough time to really specifically address that. But I don't want you to lose your expectation, even if you've tried and tried and tried to break this addiction. I don't want you to lose your ex expectation that God can really bring change in your life and in your body, in your neurochemistry, in your mind, in your relationships, how you see yourself, in your subjective psychology. God wants to change all of you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, your mind, your will, your emotions. Your body, everything. God is the great change agent. Number three, you're not alone. Every revival, there's a fresh understanding that you're not forsaken. To be a Christian, please hear me, is not just to do and say Christian things. To be a Christian is not, and these, those are good things. To be a Christian is not just to come on a Sunday morning and lift up your hands and sing some really good songs. Maybe if it's a really good Holy Spirit day, you do a Pentecostal two-step, right? No, what's so important for us to understand is that being a Christian is not doing and saying Christian things, saying, hello, brother, that's, you know, whatever, whatever Christian people do. To be a Christian, and this is, please, please hear me, it's so profound. It's nothing less than God who fired the universe into existence, coming and dwelling in you. Thank you for that golf clap. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The God who created the world, made it beautiful, created it as a temple, wherein God wants to flood it with his healing and glorious presence, rescued you, put you back together, given you the Holy Spirit, but not just given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when you are in Christ, is given as a down payment. Another way of saying is that you are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the environment and the activity of heaven to you. The Holy Spirit is, is the one who brings the power of God to you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I know some of this, and, and I, I get it, I get it. Maybe some of us are new to the Bible and some of us are new to Christianity. And it's like, what is all this dense talk about temples and the Holy Spirit filling me? The basic idea is that God wants to flood your life with his living presence and remain with you. You, in other words, are not alone. Isaiah 41 says, you are, God's speaking to his people. The Isaiahic Herald says this. He put, he, God gives him his speech, and this is God speaking to his people. You are my servant. I have chosen you. I have not cast you off. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. Do not, do not be dismayed, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will guide you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will fill you with my presence. As followers of Jesus, we're not just people who sing some nice songs. 
You come into this building, guess what? You are a walking, breathing, portable temple that God has made residence in. You are set apart for the good purposes of God. And whether you feel him or not, feelings are important. I talk about this a lot. But feelings are not the most important thing. The most important thing is you recognize and realize that you are a temple indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You see, anxiety and depression, many of you have experienced this, many, people, many young people are in the throes of anxiety and depression in a way that has baffled many psychologists. And there's a lot of, I've read so much literature on it and I've, I've taken it from a biblical perspective and deconstructed anxiety and everything. And what I've concluded after looking at all the literature, the psychology, most importantly, the Bible on it, I've come to the conclusion that anxiety is rooted in this sense of being forsaken. Anxiety cannot work if you feel on a fundamental level like you are alone. And yet the good news is, and in the midst of a revival, when the Holy Spirit pours out his presence, he comes to you and says, guys, and some of you need to hear this, you're not alone. Some of you need to hear this. You're not alone. Some of you have been thinking you're alone. Some of you have been to like four or five different doctors and they don't have a diagnosis for you and you feel like there's no hope and you feel like you're alone. I'm, I'm here to tell you that your father in heaven who made you, who stitched you together in your mother's womb, who knows every fiber of your DNA, knows your chemi the chemicals in your brain, he knows everything that's going on in your body and in your mind right now, loves you so much, and he's right there in the midst and in the middle of your pain and in your suffering. You are not alone. Well, you don't know my suffering. I totally don't know your suffering, but you also don't know my suffering, right? We don't know each other's suffering, but the Father in heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you're walking through. Anxiety is a biochemical reality as a, as a bodily thing. Anxiety as related to worry and getting ahead of time and maybe being anxious about your family or your body or your future, whatever it might be. God knows what you're going through right now. And he wants to tell you today, you're not forsaken. He's not cast you off. You have been filled, if you are in Christ, you have been filled with his loving presence. And I promise you, he will guide you through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I love the passage in Psalm 23. I'm almost done here. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Through. He doesn't say you're going to get stuck in the valley of the shadow of death and it's, it's all over, but the Lord will be with you. No, it says he will lead you through. Some of you just feel like there's just no hope. You can't see it. I just want to give you a, I feel like I need to give this, this promise to you. Even though you can't see the end, you don't know how you're going to get out of whatever, whatever you're in, the promise is that the Holy Spirit is with you and he will lead you through that valley, through that shadow, through that dark season into and on the other side of that resurrection, new life, 
new hope. You know what's interesting? I'm beginning to realize this. When we go through the valley of the shadow of death, God's presence is made more real to us. We usually think that it's when we're on the summit, that's when we get all the revelation and the vision and we see the angels and amazing things happen, right? You go to a camp or you go to a conference or whatever, right? You're in a really good season. That's when we really experience the love of God. No, I think it's in the valleys that God, I just think it's how he's designed creation itself. God makes his presence felt or, or more deeply felt in those dark seasons in our life. In the valley of the shadow of death, you are not alone. You are not forsaken. So you are accepted. We have the power of God to change. The Holy Spirit's the great change agent. Number three, right? We are not alone. And finally, number four, guys, you and I have authority. It's derivative authority, but you and I have authority from Jesus. I was hoping for a really good amen on that. You're not the byproduct of of sociology or sociological or economic forces. You're not some hopeless, helpless pawn in the sea of complicated culture. You have authority. You have authority over addictions. You have authority over your mind. You have authority over your body. You have authority over your sexuality. You have authority over, come on, over your will, your heart. You have authority. As one pastor says this, we are, as a church, a staging point one of millions of staging points worldwide where we are given the great task to upend lovelessness, um, resentment, ugliness, and hostility wherever it appears in our lives and in our world. In other words, this church has authority and you and I personally have authority. We have authority in our marriage. Well, Chris, there's some dysfunction in my relationship with my spouse. There's authority through the power of the Spirit through His love to bring change. You have authority over your family. You have authority over your mind. You have authority over your body. You are not a helpless pawn of demonic forces that are more powerful. Remember, Colossians and Philippians make it very clear that the powers of darkness have been defeated by Jesus on the cross. You and I have authority. We have authority as this church to upend the ugliness in this world. We have authority in this church to bring the presence of God to our neighborhoods. We have the authority of God to bring the grace that comes from Jesus to our places of work. We have the authority of God to bring, as we partner with the Holy Spirit and through his love in acts of service, to bring the healing work of the Holy Spirit into our families. We are not survivors. We're not irreparably broken, waiting for heaven, singing kumbaya. 
I've never sung that song before, but everyone uses it in an example. I don't even know what it means, right? Or come Lord Jesus, right? It's all over here on planet earth, come. Well, yeah, we sing come Lord Jesus. We want the return of Jesus, but not because we're just losing and failing and overwhelmed by the forces of darkness. Rather, we want Jesus to come and complete the finished work of Jesus on the cross and to make all things new in heaven and on earth, in our bodies and in every sphere of existence. We have authority as a church not to be successful, not to be the greatest. My goal is not to be the greatest church. My goal is not to have the greatest worship or the greatest preaching. My goal is not to be the most success, successful pastor on the planet. My God, that's not my goal. My goal is not to use you for my self-actualization. And I hope that's your goal as well. Our goal is that we have the authority as servant leaders to bring the power and the authority of Jesus to those powers that are resisting and attempting to stop the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And everyone said amen. amen. So you are accepted. Yes. You don't start from the scratch, right? Amen. You don't start from the bottom, we start from the top. Right. You are not alone. Yes. The Holy Spirit has indwelt you and you are a living, breathing, walking temple. You have been set free from the bondage to sin and trauma and all the pain and the addictions that shape your life. You don't have to wallow in cycles of immaturity and pain and despair. There's freedom in the house today. And you have authority from God. You have defeated in your personal life the powers of darkness. And everyone said, amen. amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Thank you, Father. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. As your eyes are closed, I wanna ask you this question. You would say, Chris, there's at least one of those that I want the Holy Spirit to make new in me. Those four points, I realized that I'm struggling in maybe one, maybe two, or maybe three, maybe some of you all four. Maybe it's half of one, maybe it's half of another, I don't know. But you're like, I'm really struggling with the whole concept that I have authority to break this addiction in my life. Or it could be that um, right now you just, you're, you're, you're living from a place that I'm alone and God's forsaken me. Maybe it's anxiety and depression that's really shaping your self-understanding and you've been so conditioned by it that this word is like, oh my God, I want that freedom from anxiety. I, I, wanna, I wanna live from a place of God's presence. It could be maybe you're just bound to sin or maybe cycles of immaturity and you know what they are. Or maybe some deep stuff from your past that you want the Holy Spirit to come and set you free today. Or maybe you just, you realize, man, Chris, I realize as a follower of Jesus, I've been in the church for some time, but I, I relate to that whole idea that I, every morning when I wake up, I start from the bottom. And I'm trying to work myself way up, not realizing that I'm already forgiven, that I have a new status, that I'm a son and daughter of Jesus, that I'm a part of the family. I don't start from the bottom, I start from the top. If any, any one of those spoke to you, I'm gonna pray with you. The Holy Spirit is here today. 
He wants to pour out his presence and his spirit into you. You say, Chris, yes, I want you to pray for me for one of these four areas. Could you just stand right now? Just be bold. Thank you for your honesty. As you're standing, could you just take your hands, put it on your heart? Holy Spirit, come now. Flood your people with your presence. Father, we talked about it last week. Renew a right spirit within us. I declare your freedom for every son and daughter here today. Thank you, God, as I've given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I thank you that that whole understanding, that breathtaking understanding that we're no longer located in sin or in bondage, but we're located in grace and righteousness, that a life is bound up in the life of Jesus. Let that, let that become such a fresh, defining reality that from this moment on, we begin to live from in Jesus' name. But we confess that we've made mistakes in our mind or our bodies or in our heart. And we thank you, Father, for a reviving of our lives, restoring of our lives. I pray this over everyone that's standing, Psalm 85. Restore us, O God. Revive us again according to your steadfast love. I pray right now that the love of the Father would pour out through the Holy Spirit into every heart and mind today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence. Father, we're living in a, an incredible time in human history. You're doing an incredible work on the East Coast and the West Coast. I love it, you're working with Anglicans and Charismatics. Father, you're working in Asia, Africa, Europe, Canada, United States of America. Father, our desire as a church is to participate with this great move of God in our world, but more specifically, in our city. Lord, I thank you that you are the great change agent. You come and meddle with our lives so that you can transform us so that we can bring change, the change of heaven, to our city. So we confess our sin. But we get honest with you this morning. We say, God, yeah, we failed. Yeah, we've sinned. Yeah, I've been immature this week. I messed up. I sucked. But Father, I thank you that you make all things new. I thank you, Father, we would know that we have authority. I thank you that you would fill us with fresh power in the mighty name of Jesus. Woo! Holy Spirit, come. If you're standing, I just want you to say that. Holy Spirit, come. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I just, if you're standing, just go to pray. If you're sitting, I think we all pray this. Holy Spirit, come. Just pray that right now. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Revive. Ask Him, revive me, God. I want to know your love. I want to know your grace. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I want to live from your power, your authority. Jesus, 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 Jesus.
You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Let me just say this really quick. Go ahead and look at me. Um, if you're sending, you can sit down. We, it's, it's 1034. I'm going to be done in like two minutes, all right? I, I can't tell you how many stories that I've heard over the last four weeks of God changing people. It's incredible. I mean, I'm talking people that maybe I was a little bit cynical of. I'm like, there's no hope for that person. Just to be honest, right? Isn't it funny how God just, he doesn't care about our cynicism. And I'm seeing God work in powerful ways in so many people in this church. Everything from healing to, to transformation of our thinking to the breaking of the power of addictions. I mean, it's just like, oh my God. So many people that have been stuck in their lives are confessing their sin to their spouses, to their pastors. Guys, it is, we are in, please hear me, we are in the middle of a revival. Don't come to church like, oh, here we go again. It's just church. You can think that. If you think that, I feel sorry for you because you're going to miss what God has for you. I'm not trying to be bad or mean today because I love you with all of my heart. I'm just asking one thing. Don't miss what God is doing, not just in our church, but in this city and around the world. It is an amazing time to live. There have people, there are people that have said, yes, it's a time of declension for the church. It's a time of retreat for the church. The church is sick. The church is outmoded. The church is archaic. And yet I have good news. I come with the word from heaven and a word from God that this is not our greatest hour of need. This is our greatest hour of opportunity. Yes, yes. Yes, the church needs to repent. Yes, the church needs to change. Yes, yes. But we serve the God who restores us, revives us, changes us, and molds us into his image. Shake yourself today. Get out of your complacency. Am I preaching too hard? Get out of your comfort. Let's go, people. God is saying, let's go. Now is the time, right now. Now is the time. God's arms are open. He's inviting us to be a part of this outpouring of the Spirit. So I just thank you right now for all of us. Lord, let all, we all need this, to be honest. Let all four aspects that we talked about today, let them become our deepest reality. Holy Spirit, we want you in our lives. If you want the Holy Spirit in your life, can you just raise your hand? You're like, okay, I just, I want, I want to go. It's time to go. Okay, stand. You raise your hand. I got you. I got you good. Stand. That was my little trick. Come on, you want the Holy Spirit. I, we're not called to like hobble through life. Yes, we have brokenness. Yes, we have trauma. Yes, we have addictions and those can weigh us down, but that's why we have each other. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit will meet us there in grace, but he doesn't want to leave us there. Right? We're called for such a time as this. You. Guys, I don't get excited this, this often or this much, very often. So I, I'm, I'm trying to communicate that the Holy Spirit is, I think, speaking through me. You say, okay, it's time. Embrace what I want to do in you, but not just in you, but through you for the sake of people in the city. All right, you stood up. I tricked you. So we're almost done. We're going to sing a song. But if you're standing, I want you to come up to the front, and I'm going to pray a prayer of commissioning over you. Come up to the front. I tricked you, I know. You don't have to come up front if you don't want to, but if you're standing, come up front. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.